FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 477 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host, Jason, and we're going to kick off some, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, weekly coverage of the 10 Lives and 10 Deaths and Wolverine series that have recently launched. Now, I gotta stop you right there, because what you need to do, if you haven't already, is I recently, uh, probably not quite a week from the time this comes out, um, the gracious and wonderful host, Regina and Dylan of the House of X podcast, had me on to talk on their show about the Ten Lives of Wolverine. If you have not listened to that, stop what you're doing, go over there, give that a listen, come back. Um, you know, I obviously, you know, I owe it to all you, my SNCC family, to, to talk about such a big key issue here as well, but man, it was so much fun talking about it with them. Um, you know, felt right at home. They're, they're a cool host like that. Um, so go listen to that episode, and if you're not listening to House of X just in general already, correct yourself. <laughs> And go go add that show to your rotation. It's, it's a wonderful show. Uh, wonderful people cannot speak highly enough of of my ex fam there. So um, yeah, go check that out. Um, and then you know come back and listen to this. Because we'll t- we're going to talk about ten lives as well. Uh, so so what I'm hoping to do through this event is. Even if they're shorter episodes or not, depending on what other issues are coming out, what else is going on, um, I'm hoping to do this weekly. I gave a little bit of space intentionally on this episode. It's a little bit late because I wanted to. I didn't want to. You know, it's hard. It's a Wolverine podcast. I got to talk about this book. I also wanted to give plenty of time for the House of X episode to get plenty of listens um, and not steal that thunder because it was so much fun to come on there, and I wanted to let people hear me speak to that comic on that show first and have you know have some time to do that and let that saturate and then now you know i'm playing a little catch up and we'll we'll talk about the issue here along with some other wolverine related comics and then my hope is every weekend to release an episode on that wednesday's either 10 lives or 10 deaths of wolverine issue um that way we get kind of pretty regular quote unquote live feedback of, of how I'm feeling as the event goes. Um, spoilers really like the first one quite a bit. Well, we'll get into the details of that in a minute. Um, so that's the plan. I'm going to try really hard to stick to that. Um, I think the biggest challenge will be, I mistakenly thought, <laughs> because of some of the announcements on the books that the X universe or the X line proper was kind of going on hi- hiatus for this event. And I don't think it really is, because I was looking at a uh, distribution list, and, you know, X-Men number seven comes out next week. And, you know, we're going to talk about a couple of tie-ins today. So there's going to be plenty of other stuff to talk about. I'll still need to coordinate, you know, whenever the next episode is going to be with the Excaliburs. I know I'm dreadfully behind on flashback stuff, and I'll... I'll 
I'll try to intersperse that. So maybe I'll do some kind of rotation. So some of these weeks may have multiple episodes. Um, but that's okay. I mean, just more more content for y'all. I'm going to swing that tent the best I can. Um, Pat and Cameron will get that. Uh, maybe some more of you too, uh, for all you Comedy Bang Bang listeners. Um, but anyway, that's the plan. I will do my best to kind of stay on track and on schedule with the event, but also to still have other episodes and not completely lose traction either. That's kind of the, kind of the hard part I get in by trying to kind of have different flavored episodes on this show, you know, with the modern stuff and the flashbacks and the events and all that fun stuff. Sometimes there's a lot to juggle and sometimes one gets preference <laughs> over another. Um, so I know it's been a while since we've done a flashback episode and I hope to correct that soon. But, you know, talk about things getting preference. This event is going to be kind of the front of the line for, for the podcast for the next several weeks. So, there you go. So before we jump into 10 Lives and Wolverine, you know, we've been covering some of the uh, Marvel Infinity Comics, the X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics. Um, have not really talked as much about the Deadpool Juggernaut one recently. There's no really Wolverine connection. And honestly, um, as much as I love Fabian, and while I liked the recent Juggernaut series, I didn't love it. And I don't know. I mean, it's been fine. Uh, there, there are other ex-podcasts that like it a lot more and you should go listen to what they have to say about it because it's always more fun to listen to people who like stuff than it is to just kind of be blasé about it. And I'm kind of blasé, so we'll just, we'll just kind of not worry about that. But concurrent to the release last Wednesday of Ten Lives of Wolverine number 1, they also started an Infinity comic called Life of Wolverine. So we had the first issue, or whatever you want to call it, of that. Um, this is written by Jim Zub, art by Raymond Box, or Ramon Box, sorry, uh, colors by uh, Hava Tartaglia, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, production by Annie Chang and Tim Smith III, or Tim Smith III, TS3, I like to call him. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called him that before, but I like it now. <laughs> anyway, um, so I also talked about this just briefly on the House of X podcast. It was kind of some bonus coverage. Um, this is chapter one, The Boy and the Beast Within. And really, all it adds is, you see, if you've seen the X-Men Days of Future Past movie, and similar to the comic, but definitely very, very closely tied to the movie, the idea that you used to road to send a consciousness back in time to inhabit the previous body with the future knowledge. And that's that's what we find out this event is going to be. Um, Xavier and Jean Grey use a Cerebro helmet and they send Logan back to what will start uh, the Ten Lives first issue. But this is kind of a preface to that. And I think, it's, I think really this is going to serve as like an illustrated Wikipedia article, which um, you know, is kind of, kind of an unfortunate waste of a Jim Zub's talent. I think he normally adds a lot more flavor to his writing and doesn't really get a chance to do that here, but I don't want to get too much into my thoughts um, before we talk about what actually happens. So basically what, what it does is it allows Jean Grey as kind of Logan's anchor to kind of relive his life and memories as they're sending him back in time. Now, one can argue that if you're sending a consciousness back in time, 
Maybe you would see them go backwards through the memories to that point. From a narrative standpoint, that might make more sense. What this decides to do, like I said, is really, really new friend, or sorry, new friend, family. That doesn't make any sense. New fan friendly. And that it, this chapter looks at kind of summarizing and, and highlighting the first origin series. Um, yeah, which also you may be familiar with a lot of these plot points from the X-Men Origins uh, Wolverine movie as well. Um, but yeah, so Gene takes Logan, they, he drifts these black space in different costumes from different periods, um, and he goes back and we meet young little young James Hallett with Rose and the trauma of his dad's death and when he popped his claws and then to be continued. So, I mean, it's not bad. It's a fine little kind of catch up. If you've never read this, well, first of all, all right, so here's maybe the uh, the caveat or the, the weird thing about this. So, this is not like an extra, like, dollar or even free comic book day you know, printed guide to offer an origin of Wolverine that you can't find on the shelf. This is on Marvel Unlimited. Also, Origin is on Marvel Unlimited. So my proposal would be, if you're already on the app anyway, instead of reading the Cliff Note version, go either read and or scan the series. It's a great series. It's a great miniseries. I mean, I think you would benefit a lot from reading it as a Wolverine fan. So I get I get the connection, right? If you're a new fan, you're not as familiar with Wolverine's history because you've been living under an adamantium rock for a while. Um, you know, this, this this little Infinity series might be a cool way to kind of catch that up and close the gaps and see, like, a chronological narrative of Wolverine's life, um, you know, and origins. But normally when I think of that, like I think of like the, either the True Believer reprints or stuff like that. Like, you know, for example, I bought a couple years ago a cheap facsimile reprint edition of Deadpool's first appearance to fill in my original New Mutants run because I did not buy that back in the day and cannot afford to buy it now. Uh, props to Andrew, friend of the show, who actually, you know, was subscribing to the New Mutants at the time. So he has all those high dollar issues that he bought when he was a kid. That's awesome. I didn't do that. I wanted to have the issue, and this was before. I I think I may have had Marvel Unlimited at the time, but they were still adding to their inventory <laughs> at that point when I bought this. Um... Yeah, but so I bought a cheap reprint because at the time it was the best way for me to read the material. So if that's what this was, if it was like an alternative or in a platform to offer some insight for readers who maybe didn't have access to the old story because because I haven't checked because I have physical copies of Origin, but I'm I'm assuming they're not super cheap. <laughs> to to get if you wanted to get those so I, I like having this alternative it's just weird that it's on the same app that you have to have a subscription to to get the Infinity comic that you already have access to the original uh, the origin series on the app as well so I don't know 
That's kind of odd. But anyway, I, I spent way more time on this than I intended to. Um, the art is fine. It's okay. Um, the story is fine. It doesn't... You know, one of the things I've talked about on, on House of X and, and Dylan and Regina both kind of agreed is that you know, maybe there could have been an opportunity to just add a little something new. Maybe, you know, Jim's up just throwing a little a little nugget in that would either lead into a future story or plant a seed for a potential future story. Even if it's not the Ten Lives or Deaths, maybe someone else could do something with it later. Maybe he can do something with it later. Um, it's just kind of such a straight... Cliff's note, <laughs> Wikipedia article version of Origin, that, you know, like I said, it's kind of a, I mean, Jim Zub is such a creative writer, and I know on on the show with the Scalbros, we were kind of up and down on Hellions, but, you know, if you heard me talk about the last issue, definitely stuck the landing, and I have been loving Jim Zub on Spider-Man right now, uh, cannot get enough of what he's doing over there, so very, very talented writer who has a lot of character and I guess when I see his name and then I see what this is it's like well I mean anyone could have like I I don't want to slam on the artist right because the artist you know is, is recreating their images and trying to do their own style I I don't I don't know maybe maybe I'll feel differently later I just feel like you get a guy like Jim Zub he's a great writer and you give him something like this that's basically like an outline and he doesn't really I don't want to say like just an intern could have whooped this out but <laughs> I wonder if maybe it could so I, I'm going to go ahead and grade it I'm going to give it 3 out of 6 clauses kind of neither here nor there and I'm, I'm giving some benefit of the doubt in case you are a new reader and you're like hey well, this is cool I got to see the commercial version of the first chapter of origin so i'm good in that case great all right well like i said um way more time than i intended to spend on that there so let's move on to the 10 lives of wolverine number one so this is maybe there's a time to live or 10 underscore one or x underscore one uh, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Joshua Kassara, colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, designed by Tom Mueller. And the main cover is by Adam Kubert and Frank Martin. Okay, and so this main cover you've probably seen multiple times is a bunch of Wolverine costumes, almost in a pyramid type formation. In a in front of a sky, and they're all being wrapped or held up by Omega Red coils. Now we're starting with the current costume, and then there's like a Weapon X costume, and the original Wolverine first appearance costume, uh, Patch, Team X, um, Wolverine like Safari costume. Uh, it's probably like World War One. <laughs> kind of like Safari. Um, just a ragtag, no shirt, beat up pants, uh, flannel, western wear, the silver and black X-Force costume, and an old West costume. And they're all, like I said, wrapped in the tentacles. It's a pretty nice cover. So it's a nice layout. Uh, Adam Kubert, of course, is, you know, awesome. So it's a great cover. 
Now I did a thing, and we're going to talk about that thing. And when it they come in, whoops, not what I wanted to do. I will maybe, maybe I'll do like a little video or something. But um, anyway, I I did a thing I do not normally do, and I ordered multiple physical copies of this book with multiple covers. And I'm going to go ahead and go to this Marvel Wiki thing. We're going to talk about some of these covers. I am not going to be able to say from here who all of them are. I know who some of them are. Um, there's one of Wolverine and the Hulk, almost like a painted version that's pretty cool. I'm not sure who did this one. Yeah. I need like more than one copy of this. Um, so that's really cool. I mean, I'll go back and read all the names, but I'm not sure where they all go. Um, there's a Todd Nout cover. Um, a very different style for him. It's pretty cool. It's, it's done in almost like an animated show style. And it's Wolverine and Madripoor with lots of neon behind him. And he's leaning over a ledge towards the camera. It's, it's nice. It's a nice cover. It's one of the ones I got. Um... Then there is a Wolverine where there's a face of Wolverine and outlined in like in a green cover, but everything is like a collage of like Wolverine panels and covers uh, that make up both the background and the interior of the face. It's really cool. That's yeah, a nice cover. It's one I also grabbed. Uh, then there's a Will Sliney rep uh, recreation of kind of the Incredible Hulk 181 cover. So we have Wolverine's original costume lunging at the Hulk with Wendigo in the back, or Wendigo, sorry, in the background. Um, it's a nice one. It's nice. It's, um, you know, Hulk is not as bulky, but it's okay. It's cool. It's a nice cover. Uh, then we have an Art Adams one, which I was not able to find affordably. Um, and it's a more sketchy style for Art Adams, which is pretty cool. Uh, and it's Wolverine walking in the snow with long shadows. It's it's really rad. I like it quite a bit. If I ever see it on the cheap, I'll pick it up and grab it because it's cool. Uh, then we have the Ron Lim version, which is kind of the same as the uh, Adam Kubert version. It's the mo same motif. Or the Russell Dodman, which I also cannot find at a good price. Um, but it's Wolverine in a bunch of costumes all charging into some kind of fiery explosion. It's pretty cool. Uh, then we have an Ed McGinnis version, which is the Team X costume. Uh, Logan and Creed and Maverick with Logan front and center. Both shooting guns and being shot at. <laughs> but it's, it's a nice cover. Then uh, the Jorge Molina cover is also really cool. It's uh, Logan in jeans and a wife beater with a leather jacket. He's got his claws out and he's resting on his bike. Um, it's reminiscent of, you know, just a normal time. He would just kind of leave the X-Men. He's got one of his swords and a sweeping bag on the back of the motorcycle. It's, it's a really nice cover. It's pretty cool. Then the Peach Momoko cover is one of the ones that I had to grab. It's uh, Logan in his Weapon X helmet with his claws out. And then behind... So, all right. So, out of the Weapon X helmet are the cables coming out. So, he's hooked up to Weapon X. And then the cables kind of make like a panels as they go off the helmet into the corners of the book. And in each 
panel or, or each space between the cables is a different cowl. Um, yeah, it was original costume, it was X-Force costume, a more modern costume, uh, the brown and tan, the blue one. Um, I think the one that's being covered up by the title is when he had the blue bandana on, maybe? But I'm not entirely sure. It's hard to see. His nose is not completely covered, so that's why I made me think of that. But I could be wrong. And I want to see if I can find like a textless version of this image somewhere. But this one's rad. Of course, I'm, I am definitely 100% on the Peach Momoko bandwagon. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, then there's one by Joshua Kassara himself, which is rad. Um, it's Wolverine, a very, like, just thick Wolverine. And he's got his hands pointed towards the reader with his claws out. Nice, nicely spaced. Sometimes people have them too close together or too far apart. This is a very nice design. And then the background is just a stark white. So it's just Wolverine in color with no background. And it looks really cool. Then we have uh, the Mark Bagley version of Wolverine in his original costume just standing in the forest. It's, it's nice. I like it. I'm up and down on current, modern, 2021-2022 Bagley, but this one this one's pretty good. Uh, then there is a Tyler Kirkham cover, which is Wolverine, Maverick, and Sabretooth just looking badass and jumping towards something on the side. So they're all on the left side of the comic jumping towards the right in battle poses. It's pretty great. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to the comic and I think I can maybe delineate then who that other one was and I wasn't sure. So it looks like, if I go back to the credits, I've talked about the art, Adams and Mark Bagley... John Dow. So the Mr. Garson or Mr. Garson, I'm not sure which was the one with the collage. Um, I go Will Swiney and talked about that one. So I think the one that was like the painted looking one was John Dell and Romulo Fajardo Jr., I believe. And if I got that wrong, then apologies to the creators, because they were all, I mean, I liked some better than others, but I actually liked every variant that I've seen so far to one degree or another, which is pretty rare. Usually I'm kind of like, yeah, well, yeah, I definitely have a favorite. And this time I'm not so sure. I like them all for different reasons. Um, and yeah, I, I went and got, I got it. I got a bundle, so if anyone's worried about you know, my spending habits, I did not go pay like six bucks a piece. I found I found a lot of them uh, that had eight different ones and grabbed it and for a pretty good price. And um, yeah, also did that for the first issue in 10 deaths. I will not do that throughout the series. My budget is not uh, prepared for that. But I thought for the first issue of both of them, it would be kind of a cool thing to do. And so, like I said, when I get them in, in the next couple of weeks, as, you know, stuff ships and gets to me, maybe I'll do a quick video on Twitter and or Facebook, uh, just kind of thumbing through the covers, you know, as I open them from the mail or, or whatever. It might be cool. Some, some of you might like that. Some I've seen people do that, and people seem to like it, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Because if there's anything I do, it's trying to emulate the success of others. <laughs> anyway, alright. So we start off with Wolverine on a cliff on Krakoa. 
And please, again, if you've not gone and listened to the House of X episode, it's a lot more fun to talk about this with other people. So I'm not trying to shortchange my coverage here for my loyal fans, but it's still me on that show, so go listen to it. Um, Alright, so Wolverine has a broken watch. He kind of soliloquizes about how time is worthless and he doesn't have anything to do with time, but except for go forward. And there's a really nice full-page splash of Xavier in his bodysuit and Cerebro walks up to Wolverine. I love Kassar's Wolverine, just FYI. And Xavier says, you know, it's time. And so, there you go. So then we do a, a change of scenery, and it's an old-timey mansion. And one of the things I talked about, and I'll try not to just say, this is what I said on House of X. But I did. <laughs> it happened, so I can't really argue against it. Um, you know, there's a lot of parallels in the story. I think intentionally and tonally calling to the origin series. And one of the things that was kind of weird is I know, you know, mansions kind of always look old, so you can make that argument. But the design and the fashion make it feel like this is back in origin times, but it's not. It's actually back at the birth of Charles Xavier. But there is murder afoot. And so at the X-Mansion, the gardener tries to kill uh, Charles's dad while he's out having a smoke on the patio. And Logan jumps in, tackles him to safety, so the garden shears miss him. And we see the gardener has an omega, glowing red omega on his forehead and sprouts omega red coils. And Wolverine's like, oh. So then uh, he fights the gardener and some pretty great artwork. And then we go back to the hatchery where Omega Red knocks out gold balls and accesses the resurrection protocols and finds out what Beast and X-Force and Wolverine did to him about, you know, implanting a carbonadium synthesizer when maybe they could have healed him and then using it to track and bug him and use him as a mole. For the vampires, obviously he's not happy, he feels violated, and rightfully so. Then we go back in the past, where um, Xavier's mom is in labor. Uh, Xavier's dad and the butler now are getting some guns and arming up. Um, Xavier's mom delivers the first baby stillborn, uh, which was Cassandra. Of course, Cassandra Nova. Um, So we find out, you know, that she was actually delivered. I don't... I need to go back and read the Nuff Said issue where that happens in New X-Men in the Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly days. Um, I feel like this doesn't completely jive, but maybe it does. Maybe I'm misremembering. Um, but anyway, Cassandra Nova is born, still born, and we get an awesome snick that will possibly be a snick to the year contender. Um, just a nice, big, it's not a full-page splash, but it's a solid three-quarter page splash um and he says snicked try me it's a nice bloody snick with bone claws so you know that this is past wolverine but he has future knowledge so so it's not explicitly stated how they do that in this book so that is maybe the benefit of reading the infinity comic is that is spelled out what is going on um yeah wolverine continues to hack away at omega gardener um, until suddenly he's like, well, what's going on? Where am I? And Wolverine looks back at the house and he's like, ah, oh, frog. <laughs> so, 
Um, we see the dad running up the stairs with his gun, and the butler suddenly starts shooting at him. He has a glowing Omega Red sign on his head now. The dad is having none of it. He's got to protect his family, and he shoots the butler, and um, you know, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And then we go back to the delivery room where the dad locks the door. He starts to load the gun again. And Omega Red inhabits the midwife. And I got to tell a fun story. So when I was on the House of X podcast talking with Dylan and Regina, we all kind of really love this character and kind of, to our best to our knowledge, coined the phrase Omega Midwife. And I even commented on the episode that, hey, everyone needs to remember this episode when Omega Midwife is the breakout comics character of 2022. Well, I don't know. It could just be synchronicity. It could be coincidence. But uh, Dylan also was tweeting some compliments, deserved compliments, to Joshua Kassara about some of the art in this book, particularly around Omega Red. And he responded, well, what about Omega Midwife? Now, the character is not named in the issue. Right? It's a midwife. She's possessed by Omega Red. We called her Omega Midwife. It was, we thought it was fun, and we really enjoyed the character. Now, I'm not going to pretend at all when I said that, that it's super unique or brilliant. It's a midwife possessed by, by Omega Red. I said Omega Midwife. It rolls off the tongue, and it's kind of obvious that that would be a nickname. So very, very possible that even though it's not in the story, that Joshua Kassar had already, in his notes or whatever referred to her as a mega midwife. Or, maybe, just maybe, he either was listening to the episode, or maybe more likely was reading the tweets where we talked about it, but it was just really cool that he responded in kind. Whether whether it's just coincidence and we both came to that kind of obvious nickname at the same time, or whether he thought it was cool that we <laughs> were excited about the character and gave it a name, um... I'm not sure, but it was very cool that he responded to Dylan's tweets about that and mentioned Omega Midwife by the same name that we used. It really made my day when Dylan uh, was like, hey, look at this. I was like, oh, awesome. (laughs) So anyway, uh, there's a cool thing they do um, where in the mirror, when we see the midwife trying to choke uh, Xavier's mom during childbirth, um... The mirrored image is Omega Red. Now, in multiple medias, whether it's comics or movies or TV or whatever, sometimes there'll be visual cues for the audience that are not necessarily in the world. What I mean by that is, I take vampire movies or monster movies, and really anytime someone's possessed, sometimes we'll get visual cues that show the reader, hey, this person is possessed by this person, but no one in the story is aware that it's happening. And I've seen, I can't re- recall any exact example, but I've seen stuff where, you know, the reader or the viewer will see like someone's reflection, it'll look different. But as far as all the characters in the story are concerned, the person in the mirror looks like the person that they see in front of them. So that's kind of a cool like visual trick that you can do in, tell, in storytelling that you know you give the readers clues that the cast members don't have. 
But in this story, what they do, they kind of turn that on its side and kind of flip the script a little bit. So not only do we know that the character is possessed by Omega Red, or at least suspicious, right? Because it had the Omega sign on the forehead and the coils. So pretty obvious, something connection to Omega Red. And then we see in the mirror that it actually is Omega, really Omega Red in this person's body. What's interesting, though, is Xavier's dad, looking in the mirror, sees Omega Red. Well, at least, okay. Maybe I'm not entirely sure about that anymore. I may have to go ask Regina and Dylan a follow-up question. And we all kind of, all three of us kind of agreed that's what was happening. Because Xavier looks in the mirror. And he sees Omega Red choking his wife, and he has this look of horror. But I guess, in theory, <laughs> even if we as the reader see Omega Red, and he saw just the midwife, just seeing the midwife choke his wife would probably give him the same look of horror on his face. So maybe it's not indicative that he sees the same thing we do or not. I kind of read it that way at first. And we all three <laughs> kind of came to the same conclusion, but maybe, just maybe, we misinterpreted and his shock and awe face is not because he sees Omega Red, but just because he's his wife getting choked. Either way, he turns around with the gun and Omega Midwife sprouts a tentacle. And one of the things that Kassar does really cool, I don't know if it's intentional, so um, obviously here in the past, Logan has bone claws. As far as I know, Omega Red's tentacles have been the same since he had them. Like I don't, like in the present, I don't think they're metalized; they're organic, right? <laughs> I think. But anyway, whether it's just a parallel to Wolverine's bone claws or not, these tentacles in the past look really—they look like a spinal column. You know, like they look like bones strung together. It's a really awesome visual effect. Anyway, he used, uh, Omega Midwife uses the coils to grab the gun and knock Brian and Xavier out. And then Logan comes crashing through the door, uh, splinters it all to heck, as Omega Midwife has gone back to trying to choke <laughs> Xavier's mom. So then um, we go back to the present where they go to put Logan in the Cerebro and send him back and we have a really cool double splash page that is just awesome of Logan in the Cerebro helmet and there's all these images in between like this lightning electric view and it's just it's a really cool double page, double page splash with a whole lot of images from Wolverine's life uh, shown around his head it's really really nice It'll be my profile pic for a while. If you want to check it out. Um, so anyway, uh, Logan then now attacks Omega Midwife. Uh, and Charles has been delivered. Is obviously super uh, upset and traumatized. The fighting continues. Uh, we get a really nice snack. So again, possible snack of the year as Wolverine pulls his middle claw in and does the classic two claws around the neck of the Omega Midwife. But here, um, Xavier's mom, by the way, still has Charles cradled in her arm, umbilical cord still attached, shotgun in the other hand, is like, all of you get out. You're all monsters, get out of the house. Very, very powerful image. 
Um, it's kind of gross, but it's powerful. <laughs> That's what Kassara can do. You know, I talked about how early on I wasn't as turned on by his art, but I thought it was good, like, kind of body horror stuff that he did in, like, the early X-Force issues. And then, you know, I want not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, when some colors got better and you could really see his art better, I really, that's when I started falling in love with Kassara. But, you know, I fell in love with kind of that cleaner version. He still can do body horror really, really well. And can also do just really nice, beautiful art really, really well. And... It's just been awesome to see that more clearly. Um, anyway, go to present Russia. Omega Red comes through the portal in Moscow. And Dylan loved this panel, and rightfully so. Of Omega Red walking through the portal, and he takes down the guards and goes to see Mikhail Rasputin, and he wants his help. And so we find out also from our text page that Russia has set up like a mutant state inside Russia. So it's almost like there's two governments occupying the land. There's the, the human government and the mutant government, and Mikhail is leading the mutant government. So Omega Red has come to him for help, um, and we'll see where that goes over the next couple of chapters, I'm assuming. Um, so Xavier's mom shoots Logan, because he tries to be like, he tries to stop her from interfering. Uh, this, of course, frees Omega Midwife, who goes back on the attack, but Xavier's dad wakes up, start, jumps on her back, claws her eyes out, and we see a crying Xavier on the ground, mom reaching for him, um, and <laughs> we get a pretty gross snick with one middle bone claw as Wolverine picks up Charles, cradles him, and cuts the umbilical cord with his middle bone claw. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's really like touching, but also, again, kind of gross, um, and then he uses the baby as bait, which is questionable, but Omega Midwife lunges at him, he ducks. Omega Midwife falls out of the window, face first onto the balcony, at least one story below, if not more. And you would assume to her death, but she's kind of groaning at the bottom there, so maybe still alive. And we get a wonderful splash page of Logan. By the way, with um, the shotgun spread pellets embedded in his forehead, um, but he's holding baby Chuck. He's like, shh, it's all right, Chuck, I gotcha. It's a really sweet, if not bloody, panel. But then we see an electric X across Logan's face, which would represent the Cerebro helmet, and he moves forward in time to his Team X daisies in Central America with Team X, and Creed is pissed off at him. I love that Kassara makes the Team X costume even more 90s. I extra pouches, extra big shoulder pads. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Kassara's Sabretooth in issue two. Um, well, that's where we end. We end with Jean saying, this, your new mission is to save Xavier again in this time period. Assumedly from Omega Red again. And that'll be book two. So I'm excited. Um, man, it's really cool. Again, you know, listen to me talk about it on House of X if you want to hear me have fun with friends and, and have some different perspectives and details. Um, I think on that one, I gave it 8 out of 10 at the time, which would probably translate to like a 5 out of 6 gloss for our, our show here. As I've had more time to sit on it, I'm going to go ahead and give this a full 6 out of 6. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
you know, timing-wiming, I'm, I'm coming up and down on time travel stories, but so far so good on this one. The art and colors are all fantastic. Um, the story's intriguing. Logan, as always, by Benjamin Percy, just sounds right. Acts right. Is He's Logan on the page there, which is what you want, right? Um, so love this issue. Love it so much. Um, and cannot wait to see what happens next. Uh, and I'm really curious to see how the two, I guess, flip titles how or if they interact with each other at what level um so i guess we'll find out in a couple of days uh but hopefully this weekend i'll be able to get the episode out for 10 deaths that will rain we'll talk about kind of the connection or any connective material or tissue um as it exists but yeah i'm gonna give 10 lives and wolverine number one six out of six claws so a slight upgrade from when i talked to dylan and regina but i think a well-deserved upgrade all right, so that said, we're going to talk. Well, you know what? I'll save the two tie-ins for last. So real fast, and this is going to be super quick. Um, Hulk number three has a not really but kind of Wolverine appearance. Um, so let's let's talk about that real fast. Uh, this is Smashtronaut Part 3 by Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley. Uh, inks by Cliff Rathburn. Colors by Frank Martin and Federico Blee. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Woohoo! And the cover by Ryan Otley and Frank Martin. Now, I will say, I know it's not really Wolverine. It's a visual, kind of virtual interpretation. But the cover has uh, our new Hulk ship, as you want to call it in the foreground and then in the background with his claws around a crumbling logo is Wolverine's original costume. Now, I will say, so Otley in this book, you know, with Spider-Man, he, I won't say he tamed himself down. He probably did what he wanted to do regardless. But Spider-Man is a tamer book than Invincible, which got pretty bloody and gory at times. And in this Hulk book, He's cutting loose and being kind of a little more gorier. And I don't... Wolverine, the reason I love Wolverine is not for gore. But sometimes it's appropriate, obviously, with a character with six adamantium claws and a healing factor. It's going to happen, right? I will say, even though it's not the real Wolverine, seeing this cover and the and Otley draw a few, just a couple panels of Wolverine in his original costume, I want a period piece... Ryan Otley just drawing a brutal fight filled wonderful story of Wolverine back in his Department H days um, in the original costume with the whiskers I want it drawn by Ryan Otley it doesn't even have to have words he can just draw stuff and I'll buy the hell out of that <laughs> so anyway um, so Hulk is inside a giant Hulk body or a miniature banner. I'm not real sure if he's shrunk or if Hulk grew. I kind of get the impression based on how he reacts to other characters in the story that maybe Banner is shrunk and inside the brain of a Hulk body that he calls the Hulk ship. But remember from when we talked about issue two, if you haven't heard it yet, um, basically he has like a, a rage engine room and the Hulk persona is trapped down there while Banner's in the brain. And 
when he wants the Hulk ship to get stronger, he pisses off the Hulk in the engine room, and one of the ways he does that is by virtual um, encapsulations of things that the Hulk hates, one of which happens to be <laughs> Wolverine in his first appearance costume for when he attacked the Hulk. Um, now, there is a black, mysterious, shadowy figure in, in the engine room as well, and that, I guess, is the mystery Kate's is, uh, building. But anyway, uh, the whole point of this part of the story is the Hulk ship has come to an alternate universe and went out exploring through reality and time. And there's an, a universe where Banner uh, was successful with his gamma bomb test, but the government stole it and used it and created a bunch of abominations, which he calls the Hulk. And Hulk's like, well, I'm not that guy. Um, but then he remembers that he left the old Wolverine in the engine room, and so he has to turn it off. But if you ever want to see, like, a tiny Hulk uh, stabbing a giant Wolverine in the eye with his own claws, this is the book to do it. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Then our shadowy figure shows up, Hulk gets mad at him. Um, yeah, we find out, you know, poor this poor banner, uh, the government used his gamma technology to create a bunch of abomination monsters and he wants the our Hulk's help. And we find out at the end that his father-in-law Thunderbolt Ross is the president and in charge of this program. So, the art is pretty good. Like I said, he's, uh, he's able to do a little, a little bit more closely to his invincible work where there's a lot of blood and stuff, a lot of violence. Um, and it's fine. It works for this book. Um, what I was hoping for in this story when we found out that like Hulk was going to abandon the human race and Banner was going to take like this Hulk ship and go out exploring I was kind of hoping for a, vi a more violent or a more maybe maybe heavy metal version of like some of your Fantastic Four like Odyssey type comics or just Hulk going to like weird places and experiences and just kind of seeing him fight a bunch of aliens and monsters and weird landscapes and I was really hoping for a lot of that. We may still get that. What this feels like going to immediately to an alternate timeline where his father-in-law is the president and there's this gamma program and we will probably get some gamma monsters. We had like a page of some random looking just gross, gross creatures. Um, I don't know, it feels less like Fantastic Four and more like Jason Aaron's Avengers. <laughs> and it kind of makes me think of like the, uh, um, the Squadron Supreme type tone, which I haven't really loved. So, um, I mean, this is fine. I, I'll give it three out of six claws if I'm going to rate it, but there's really not much more to say about it from my perspective. So, with that said, we have two tie-ins we need to talk about. Two events that I'm mostly enjoying. Um, we have Death of Doctor Strange, X-Men and Black Knight, number one. So, this is... Where are we going to go? Uh, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Bob Quinn, so our Way of X creative team. Colors by Israel Silva. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Woohoo! And cover by Corey Smith and Rochelle Rosenberg. And on the cover, Corey Smith is doing his best Pepe Larraz impersonation. 
Just kidding. Um, but it's our current X-Men team with Cyclops blasting a pool down in the corner, Rogue and Wolverine flanking him, uh, Sink and Black Knight kind of in the center of the image, and then behind them, Jean Grey and Polaris. Um, it's a nice cover. I like it. It's fun. So, um, I don't really know what's going on with the Black Knight currently. And this book kind of banks on some of that knowledge, at least, because the Black Knight has met an estranged daughter, and they're now both Black Knight. That's really what I was able to pick up. I don't really know like how or when that happened. Um, and my only really complaint about this book is... So, there's a lot... They're figuring out the relationship through this adventure. Um... There's a lot of bickering and banter and busting each other's chops, um, which makes sense. Now, there's kind of two ways that that happens in, in storytelling. Um, if you know and are familiar with both characters and the relationship, then the back and forth, the sarcasm, the banter, the giving each other a hard time can be really fun because you're invested in the characters. When you don't really know the characters very well and know nothing about the relationship, I think using that to try to set the relationship, if you go a little overboard instead of it setting the relationship, it just sounds kind of annoying because it's maybe not as fun as if you knew the characters. I don't know if that makes sense, if what I'm saying makes sense, but that's kind of how I felt. Um, Instead of using kind of their bickering and bantering to say, oh, this is their relationship. And it's kind of like, oh, well, and this is Logan and Laura or Gambit and Rogue, you know, giving each other a hard time. I know how they work together. I can enjoy that. I, I don't know. It, just, it, it was a little annoying at times. <laughs> but what we find out is the X-Men were in London. Uh, helping to to fight because that's what the X Men team currently does. Um, after kind of these these monsters started showing up, and when they were turned into monsters, and Black Knight or Black Knights on a mission um, to rescue the X Men and rescue London, um, and we find out basically over the course of the story that. When Excalibur was shoved in the ebony stone, um, that it wasn't just like the legend to grant kingship to King Arthur, but it also served as like a key or a block or a door to keep these forces of evil from coming through the gateway in the rock. And when when Arthur pulled the sword, Merlin had to make a choice, either put the sword back or find some other way to stop these dark forces from invade, invading the Earth. And that's when we find out, so we, we've, throughout this event, the death of Doctor Strange, one of the things that has been kind of the crux of the story is that after Doctor Strange died, and there was not an immediate Sorcerer Supreme heir, that the mystical barrier that the Sorcerer Supreme maintains around our Earth or our universe was no longer supported, no longer had anything backing it up in strength. So it was weaker, 
and all these forces that we've kept out have been able to breach it. And that's where you get like all these these people um, from different magical dimensions taking refuge on Earth to try to escape the villains of the story because they can now get through the barrier. Well, it turns out the whole reason this barrier was ever invented was because Merlin wanted Arthur to keep the sword, but he needed something to close the rock. So he invented this magical barrier and passed it down to Sorcerer Supremes, you know, over time to uphold it. A pretty interesting kind of take on the story. Um, and, and, you know, for a tie-in issue, a very creative way to tie in Excalibur and the Ebony Blade and the Ebony Artifacts, which I didn't know there were, there were more than the Blade, um, to uh, the barrier in the Doctor Strange story. It's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, we see our monstrous X-Men, and they're serving this new Dark King. But then... Um, Faiza Hussein, who ha- currently has Excalibur, shows up. And so she's going to help the Black Knight's daughter, who's actually on the mission. And, you know, they fight the demons, and they do the best they can. And they eventually find out. So kind of uh, undercurrent of the story is that if you spend too much time using magical artifacts, you start to become them. And so... They figure out if they can take Rogue's power and use the magic from their blades to heal the X-Men. That that'll work. Um, and it does. And they also find out the Ebony Blade and Excalibur come into contact. Um, that can dispel the magic. And eventually what they end up kind of deciding to do is... And they're fighting like the, the big bad evil king monster, and uh, Black Knight's daughter tricks Faiza into trying to stab them together with both swords, and maybe that'll like create the energy needed to destroy them. But instead, she gets in front of Faiza's thrust, so Excalibur stabs her, and the idea is that. She, as she's becoming one with the ebony blade or the ebony artifact, that she can be the rock. So Excalibur stays in her, destroys the bad guy, and then starts to close the gate. Now, I don't know the implication here. They don't really say is that this would work as an, a barrier for everything or just specifically this dimension that was trying to come through the rock and the ebony. Um, probably the latter. There's no real indication that any kind of overall barrier is put back up, but it does expel the demons from this particular mission. But now Black Knight's daughter is stuck with a sword in her chest. <laughs> and so that's kind of where we end up. Uh, she says she'll figure it out. And then the X-Men leave and... They have a question about what they should say because I guess they detected that Black Knight's daughter in addition to being, you know, the new Black Knight and a hero and making the sacrifice to save London, she's also a mutant. And so I, I hope we get some follow-up to that. Um, I guess we'll see. 
But overall, it was a fun story. The art's really good. Uh, I've really grown on Bob Quinn, and with Israel Silva on the colors, man, this book really pops. It looks great. Um, you know, after other than being a big scary monster in the in that part of the book, Wolverine doesn't have a whole lot to do. I think she might have one line somewhere if I can find it real fast. Because they turn back to themselves and they start attacking the big bad monster. And yeah, it is actually it's a cool line. It's just one. <laughs> but she, after um, Excalibur gets thrust into Black Knight's chest, Wolverine's the first person to run up and say, What did you do? And just that concern and that heroism. Um, I really appreciate Melora. So, uh, it's one very small line, <laughs> but I like it. Other than that, she just kind of stands around and looks like a badass, like Wolverine. Um, alright, so, some of the dialogue, I, like I said, was a little tiresome, but overall, I really enjoyed this, and I enjoy the way it connects everything together, so I'm going to give uh, Death of Doctor Strange, X-Men and Black Knight, number one, uh, five out of six claws. Alright, so our other tie-in, which will be last, will be the Devil's Reign X-Men tie-in. So this is... Um, where are the credits? Where'd you go? Uh, Secrets of the Past, or The Queens of Fear, written by Jerry Dugan. Uh, art by Phil Noto. VC's Corey Pettit does the letters. Tom Mueller does the design. Phil Noto does the cover. And it's a great cover. It's Emma Frost in her kind of original Hellfire Club uniform. So this can be one, but with a long fur cape. And then Electra behind her. And I love, I mean, Noto is, is a god among men. But I love just a different posing. Emma standing very confident, very straight up. Like, I know you're looking at me. <laughs> just kind of aware of her power and sexuality. And then... Electra is kind of crouched over in a fighting pose. Very subtle difference in the framing of the cover, but it looks awesome. And then behind both of them is a skyline and then a giant Wilson Fisk head um, and a pinkish hue. Um, it's a great cover. So, where this comes into play, and remember, so Devil's Reign, the gist of the story, is that after realizing that he has a file on Daredevil, but he can no longer read it, which is part of what the Purple Kids did when they erased everyone's memory of Daredevil's identity. Um, Wilson Fisk decides as mayor of New York, he's had enough, he knows he's been gypped, and he decides to outlaw superheroes, and we're going to find out that includes mutants. And so, um, we do get like a background story of how when Elektra and Emma Frost both worked for the Kingpin at a stage, or at least did favors, Elektra was the hard fist, Emma was the soft fist, and when you see Elektra doing an assassination, then we see Emma doing almost like a psychic assassination by basically telling someone um, telepathically they're going to do what Wilson wants. Um, and then, you know, we... See that a, a kid in an apartment saw Electra, and gosh, a striking panel of Electra seeing that she is seen. 
and the color work there is all in blue and red and then her eyes squint and she looks across the alley and sees that a kid saw her the kid covers her eyes and when she uncovers them Electra's just gone and Electra does not take any action against this kid which thankfully um so we go back to Seneca Park where the X-Men have set up the treehouse and Wilson Fisk counts them as superheroes and wants them out of New York City and he sends U.S. agent and some Thunderbolt agents to knock on the door. And it's funny, U.S. agent gets there and he just yells, Time's up, X-Men! <laughs> and he's, you know, he's having none of it. So, of course, Emma Frost and... Um, gosh, you're on a complete blank. Callisto, sorry, good grief. Um, in all white uniforms, look awesome. They're going to visit Leland at the UN and um, trying to figure out how they want to handle Fisk and what options they have diplomatically. Um, now the UN decided they're not going to interfere, um, but Emma says we can't, we can't leave, and they have a proposal. We'll find out what that is. So then, um, back in at the treehouse, U.S. agent throws his shield. I don't know what he's trying really hoping to accomplish <laughs> by throwing his shield at the door. But anyway, Polaris takes it with magnetism and throws it away. Um, he says, it's city property. Y'all have to get out. Um, Polaris says, oh, I thought we were playing Frisbee. And U.S. agents like, attack, deploy. But the troops can't because Polaris has all the guns and trucks on lockdown. I really like the way Nono shows that. They're all like in this green covering almost like a Green Lantern uh, action but it looks really cool um so uh, I don't know if it's Wesley or someone else but one of uh, Kingpin's aides relays to him the trouble they're having in the park with the X-Men and um Kingpin's like well great if they fight the cops they'll do my job for me and the X-Men kind of say the same thing we can't fight the Thunderbolts or his quote-unquote cops because then we're doing his job for him and we have to figure out a, a softer touch to handle this um and so they're they decide well if we do end up leaving what do we do with the treehouse and rogues like it can be a verbo or uh, again wolverine does have a lot of lines in this comic but she says um well how about we open the first homeless shelter on central park west which is an awesome idea and so fits into tom taylor's version of the character that is just beautiful and of course sinks like i second that which is also really cool um so cyclops is like well why don't we figure that out later and he, he puts on his Captain Krakoa uniform and they go outside to talk to the U.S. agent. And he says, where's my shield? And <laughs> she says, well, I tried to throw it back to you, but I think it's in Manhattan. Um, and he tasers her. Uh, so he, he's not really interested in de-escalating the scene here. I'm sorry, he does not taser her. The new Electro shocks her. Because we see the new Thunderbolts, which are Shriek, Rhino, Electro, and Taskmaster. And Rogue's like, um, I, cause I think there was a scene recently where they were, Gambit and uh, Rhino were playing poker together, and Rogue's like, oh, Gambit's going to be so disappointed. <laughs> and Rhino's like, I'm getting paid. <laughs> so, then there you go. Um, 
So there's a, a fun scene where Polaris jumps up and says, Electro, you think I'm afraid of going in the hole? And Electro's like, I don't know what that means. But Gene stops Polaris. Um, we get a lovely scene, or a funny scene, where Taskmaster's standing next to Wolverine and he goes, I fought the original Wolverine, but not this pretender. And, <laughs> and Laura doesn't protest. She just looks at him side-eye and says, Oh, dude, I'm so not interested. <laughs> awesome. She doesn't feel the need to defend herself. She's just like, screw you. <laughs> I don't care what you think. So, um, the U.S. agent serves, uh, I guess, a paper um, that the city is reclaiming the land, but then Emma shows up and says, no, no, you're not. Um, you and Winnick get involved, but they have recognized the treehouse as a, cons- a UN consulate of Krakoa, like it's kind of our embassy. So we don't have to give it back. We're a foreign nation with diplomatic immunity on this land. And so US agent walks off, he calls um, the kingpin and says, okay, this is what's going on. Thunderbolts, let's go home. Gene uh, and Emma, you know, thank each other for trying to keep things calm. And Jean says, I can feel the Kingpin's rage from across town. Um, and then Kingpin opens a folder, and we see the girl that saw Electra, and says that he has something on Emma that will bring this all crashing down. And we don't really know what that is, or what, can, what the connection between that assassination and Emma might be, because she was not... That was Electra. But I'm really curious to see where it goes. Anyway... Phil Noto's art, as always, is lovely as hell. Um, it looks so great. I cannot explain how much I love Phil Noto. Um, I really like the pacing and tone of this story. Um, Emma gets to shine. She's not in the whole thing, but she's definitely kind of the driving force behind let's handle this my way, let's not fight, let's not play into his hand. But let's still give him the finger. It's just classic Emma all the way. Um, again, Wolverine doesn't have a lot of lines, but they're perfect for her. Um, which I, I just, I don't know. If you're going to have a character who is there mostly for visual and doesn't contribute a lot to the dialogue, you want their contributions to feel very much like them. And in both of these tie-ins, that's what we got. Um... I like this one just a hair more than the Death of Doctor Strange one. I'm going to give X-Men Devil's Reign number one six out of six claws. So, there you go. Pretty good week, I think. So, other if you discount the Infinity thing, other than being kind of middle road on the Hulk, we were all fives and sixes this week, or this episode. So that's pretty cool. Good time to be reading these comics. So, um... Yeah, like I said, what will be next will be the 10 deaths of Wolverine number one. And we'll just keep trucking along right through that event and try to do some other episodes around those. And that's what we'll do. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, it went a little longer than I anticipated, but I had more to say than I thought I would originally. <laughs> so again, one more plug. If you haven't listened to the House of X episode where I talk about 10 Lives and Wolverine with the gang. Go do it. If you haven't listened to all the other House of X episodes, you know, go back to episode 1. Binge your way through it. It's well worth your time. It's a great show. I promise you. Um, 
speaking of just great shows and some friends that I've been talking to lately, um, and listening to lately, uh, John Wilson has a new Superman in Crisis podcast, Grant Richter has the Truth, Hope, and Justice podcast, also about Superman, so I have a lot of Superman in my ears right now. Excaliburos are always lovely, please listen to their show, um, and then concurrent with my 70s run, my 70s Marvel reading project, I've been listening to some old Warlock coverage from uh, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast by Al Sedano, and maybe have something else in the works with him as well towards the end of this year. Uh, he likes to plan ahead and, and line things out. I, I should take a page from his book and do a little more of that. But um, anyway, go listen to all of those shows as well as you know lots of other other great X Men podcasts out there right now. Um, Homo Superior referred to it as an embarrassment of riches, and they're exactly right. There's a lot of really good ones. And some that I've listened to, like one episode, and want to get in my regular rotation and just trying to find time to do it. I won't try to mention everyone here, but just go look. Go see who I'm mutuals with on Twitter, because a lot of those shows are really, really good. Um, so yeah, so for the podcast that goes SNCC, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SNCCast. Show notes and stuff is SNCCast.podbean.com. Please, everyone, continue to stay well and stay safe out there. And until next time, until we go from life to death ten times over. (laughs) Does that work? I don't know if that works or not. But until that time, hugs and snacks, everyone. Bye-bye. And snacked.